Viewing life from a hearse, it could be worse. Laugh, think, and cry with the country undertaker. Many years ago, actually it was in December of 1994, I was asked to speak to our local county ministerial association. They were having a Christmas banquet the preachers in the county and their wives would be there. So I agreed to do that. They asked me, as I guess, as one of the undertakers in the county, and I, I began to think about what in the world I was going to talk to, to a bunch of preachers who I had known all of them for many years. I decided to, instead of doing some kind of spiritual speech or spiritual talk or sermonette or whatever, I did decided to tell them funny things preachers do or funny things that's happened to me uh, working with preachers. And it went over really good. These guys were really laughing. Their wives were laughing more than the guys. The wait staff was even laughing. And the more stories I told, the more they laughed, the more stories I thought of. It became a very good evening. And that, that kind of launched my speaking career as a humorist and motivational speaker. I later began to mix funny stuff with serious stuff, and but that's where it all started. I, I want to give you a, a warning. If I'm going to tell some stories about some preachers I've known, and I can promise you there's plenty of preachers that have funeral director stories that they could tell. And so I want to issue you, if you're out there and you're listening to this and you want to come on this podcast, I would love to have you. I would love to give you equal time uh, because I know you have just as many stories as the funeral directors do looking at crazy things uh, uh, funeral directors do from a preacher's standpoint. I grew up in the Methodist Church in Reynolds, Georgia. When I say I grew up, I literally grew up in the Methodist Church. I was there every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, Every Wednesday night, our lives in Reynolds, uh, in my family, revolved around the school and the church. There were two churches in town. The Methodist Church is where we went. The Baptist Church was on the opposite corner of the city block. So they were literally back to back. And actually in the little town, every Methodist knew every Baptist, so everybody knew each other. The interesting thing is that some people that grew up in the Methodist church, when they got married, they may have married a Baptist, and in many cases, the wife kept going to the Methodist church, and the husband kept going to the Baptist church, or vice versa, because they were so uh, rooted in those churches, they didn't even follow their spouse to the church. So there were several couples, several families where that was going on, and just gives you a little history of the church situation in Reynolds, there was a difference in the Baptist Church and the Methodist Church. The Methodist Church was part of a, a conference, the South Georgia Conference, and the preachers that came to the Methodist Church were appointed by the district superintendent. So it's not like the members had any say in who the new preacher was going to be. Most preachers came for four years, some came for two years. Now, you got to understand in a town the size of Reynolds, we either got the preachers that were that were new and up and coming and trying to make a name for themselves to move up to bigger churches, to bigger towns, or we got the ones that were headed to retirement. So that's kind of where we fit. Now, the Baptist Church 
they did things differently. They actually, you know, had preachers come in and they were changing preachers. or want to get rid of the preacher to get a new one. They would have preachers come in and try out and they'd give tryout sermons and they would vote on them and they were in complete control of who their preacher would be. But the Methodist Church, in most cases, we had no idea who was going to be the preacher until he got there. One of the things that happened with me and some of my buddies being in the Methodist Church, I think when I think back on this, most of us kind of knew that the preacher was temporary. And we knew that he would not be here for four years at the most, for two years maybe, unlike everybody else who we were going to know for the rest of our lives and everybody in their family. It kind of gave us fodder for cutting up way too much, and uh, we kind of took advantage of some of the preachers, to be honest. I remember vividly one preacher, and he was new, and he had, this is probably his third or fourth sermon. A bunch of us guys were sitting, and I was a kid, and we were sitting on the third row, and all of a sudden, right in the middle of this sermon, on Sunday morning, the preacher all of a sudden said, if you boys on the third row would be quiet, I will continue my sermon. Now, that kind of got my attention. It, it, I, I didn't like that preacher much after that. Uh, I know it embarrassed Mama. This is the same preacher that was preaching, and I thought I would get him back a little bit. I had a golf tee in my hand, in my pocket, one Sunday morning, and there were two rows of us kids, and I, was, I wasn't going to talk. I, I knew Mama told me I had to behave in church, so it wasn't going to be me, but I decided when we were standing up singing or doing a responsive reading or whatever we did, I put that golf tee down on the pew in front of me where my friend was standing and about to sit down, and he sat down right squarely on that golf tee. And when he did, he stood up and screamed. Some people thought he had caught the spirit. My mama did not think that. She was looking dead at me. She came out in her choir robe, came right in the middle of church, grabbed me by the arm, and moved me to the front row. Now, I know Mama was embarrassed about that. I, I think she thought she was embarrassing me. I don't really remember being embarrassed, but I knew that I was in trouble. One preacher that we had, and he was brand new. He came into town. My, my daddy was a big golfer, and he played golf during the summer every day when he closed the store, if, if, he's, if he was not busy at the funeral home. So at 6 o'clock p.m., him and his buddies were teeing off, and a lot of times us as kids were playing with them. But, but on Thursday, they closed the store at noon, and if he was not busy at the funeral home, he was playing golf on Thursday at noon. There was a group of them that played. Well, this preacher wanted to join them and wanted to meet people in town, so he came out one Thursday at noon, and he knew there was a game there, and, and Daddy paid for his golf. They got on the golf course, and it was very funny. Daddy was had him in the golf cart with him, and Daddy was serious about his golf. He was a pretty good golfer, but this preacher, I don't think he'd ever played golf in his life, and he hit the ball about 10 yards. He would get back in the cart and sit down, and Daddy would get more frustrated and more frustrated. He'd move up 10 yards, and this preacher would get back in, get out of the cart, hit it another 10 yards, and get back in, even – he was criticizing some of Daddy's shots if he went to the right of the green and or in the trap or whatever. I said, Ed, I thought, you know, you can do better than that. So you can see Daddy just getting more upset and more upset as the day goes on. So he got through that, and he was glad it was over. But the next week, the preacher was back out there, and Daddy was determined he wasn't going to 
ride in the cart with him, but the golf manager said, Ed, the preacher said you were paying for it. So Daddy paid for his golf that day, and I think he paid for his golf the rest of the time he was in Reynolds. Uh, but it was very grudgingly, but Daddy th- did it. One time we were having a a revival at our church, and in the Methodist Church in Reynolds, they did the same thing to Baptist Church. They had a spring revival and a fall revival. Guest evangelist comes in and speaks for maybe a week or four or five days or whatever it was, and they would also bring a guest song leader. One of the customs were that people uh, in our town or members of the church would host the preachers, the our sitting preacher and the guest evangelist, our song leader and the guest song leader and their wives, and they would feed them before the service, the revival service at night. Mama was doing that, and she was setting up all of this in her formal dining room. My brother and I and my brother-in-law, who was married, by the way, and was a lawyer. He later became a superior court judge. But we decided to play a little prank. I had ordered a, somehow or another, got a poo-poo cushion. We put that poo-poo cushion, we had to make a guess of which chair the, we were going to put it in. It was a cushion on Mama's formal dining room table chairs, but we put it under that cushion. And lo and behold, when they all got there and they all gathered around the table, the guest minister, the guest evangelist was sitting in the perfect place, just what we thought. The regular preacher gave a flowery prayer saying grace, and it was a really long one and nice one. I think he was trying to impress the evangelist and his wife or whatever. He finally got through with that prayer, and everybody was standing up. And when he said amen, everybody sat down. And that evangelist sat on that poo-poo cushion, and I'm telling you, it made a noise. And nobody said one word. That's what made it so funny. Nobody said, excuse me, what happened? I was sitting at a little table. My brother-in-law, again, who was older, my brother and I was sitting at a little table. But my brother-in-law was too because I think the reason he was sitting there, he wouldn't have been sitting there for any other reason that he knew this was going to happen and he wanted to have an escape route to get out of there when he did. I never squealed on him. I never told Mama that he was in on that. I took the brunt of that. Somewhere during that meal, Mama pointed at me and told me to go down the hall and she got on me and quietly at that point, it got worse after everybody had left. Another thing we used to do in the Methodist Church is we used to have sub-district meetings where the youth would go to another city or another town in different churches in our district. The youth groups would gather together, and that happened about once a quarter. We always enjoyed doing that because, you know, wanted to meet new people, especially meet new girls and all that kind of stuff, and we were kids. So we were in this city, and Mama had a a Vista Cruiser station wagon, and the back seat, the third seat, faced the back. It didn't face the forward, it faced the other way. And me and two of my buddies were sitting on the very back seat, facing the back. And we were pulled up at a red light, and being kids, we pulled up at a when we pulled up at the red light, we looked to our left, and we saw this man. It kind of glanced at, uh, at us, and when we he did, we gave him the finger. And you could tell he got mad, and it was we thought it was funny. In a few minutes, we put up to another red light, and lo and behold, there he was again. And so now all three of us gave him the finger. So this happened at least twice, I think maybe three times, and finally we got to the church where the sub-district meeting was going to be held. 
and we pulled into the parking lot. We looked up, and the the preacher that we had been giving the finger to was the preacher that was going to speak at the sub-district meeting. And I don't remember how that was resolved. I never got in trouble for it, so I don't think Mama ever knew it. I know we sat in the very back, and we never got close to that preacher. I can tell you that. Mom and Daddy were you know, obviously very active in the church. And to, to tell you the story I'm about to tell you, I need to tell you a little bit about how they operate, especially after I got married and started having kids. I was their only kid in town. I was got a call one day from Mama one morning and said, can you come down to the house? And I said, yes, what's going on? She said, I'm, we got a rooster under the house. I said, a rooster? So I go down to the house, and I you know, said, where would you hear the rooster? And I bend down, and I'm a big guy, and I'm looking under the house, and I don't see a rooster. I get something and bang to make some noise, and I'm shining a light, and I certainly don't see a rooster. But I go back in and say, Mama, I do not see a rooster. And Daddy and Mama were both there. Said, "Well, we heard it while we were drinking coffee this morning." I said, "Well, I don't. I just don't believe there's a rooster. I don't know what you heard, but I don't know how a rooster would get under your house." So the next morning they called me again, about the same time, and I go back. This time I go get this smaller guy that was a lot smaller than me that could get under the house, and I would paid him to go up under the house and look to see if he could get this rooster. So I gave him a flashlight. I went out and waited on him and he went all under that house and he came back and said bruce there is no rooster under this house i don't see anything so i go back in and tell mom and daddy there's no rooster i don't see a rooster so they said we sure heard one so the next day i'm down at their house i went by there to eat breakfast with them and while we were eating breakfast all of a sudden i heard a rooster and it didn't take me but a few minutes to realize daddy had ordered a one of these little cheap watches with a with a rooster as an alarm on it. That's what they were hearing. The rooster was coming off his watch. That's the kind of relationship I had with them. They would call me a lot when something was going on. Sometimes it wasn't very important, but I was the only one in town, and I would always go down. And this is after I'm an adult and they're older. Another day, and the reason I told you that story, just to set it up, Mama called me, and she was very upset. I could tell she was crying. And she said, Bruce, can you come down to the house? The preacher is here. And I said, yes, uh, what's wrong? She said, you just need to come here. So I'm thinking, has mama got cancer? Is what in, What's going on that scared me to death? So I stopped what I was doing to go down to see what was going on. I walked in, and the preacher was sitting with mama. They had very concerned looks on their face. You could tell mama had been crying. And I said, what in the world's going on? And mama said, Preacher, you, you tell him. So he went on to tell me that yesterday in church, I preached a stem winder of a sermon. I, I gave an invitation at the end for, for people to join the church or to get the hearts right with God. And when I gave the invitation, it was a very powerful moment. Your dad raised his hand. And he said, can I say something? I said, absolutely, you can say something. Come on down. He thought that... He knew Daddy was already a member of the church, but he thought maybe he was going to talk about how the sermon impacted him or confess some kind of sin. Or I'm not sure what he thought. But Daddy walked down and turned around right in that solemn moment and said, I just want to be sure you know that we got a bike-a-thon next Saturday that's going to be out in the city park. 
And he said he went on to talk about the bikeathon, and the preacher said he absolutely ruined the service. I mean, it was a one of the best services we've ever had, one of my best sermons, and he ruined it. And I laughed. I couldn't help but laugh. I shouldn't have laughed. They were not laughing. But I said, there's two things. Number one, Daddy did not hear you. He, he can't hear well, and I can promise you he didn't intentionally ruin your sermon or ruin your church service. I know that. The second thing is, the St. Jude's Bacathon is very important to him. He was a chairman of that. He's raised a lot of money for it, so he wanted to be sure people were out for the Bacathon. But one day I was in, from, in college, and I was home for the weekend. I was sitting with my dad in church. The title of the sermon was, What Time Is It? And it was written in the bulletin. So you, everybody saw that except Daddy. Daddy was figuring. I don't know what he was figuring. I don't know if he was about to buy something, about to sell something, about to borrow money. or I don't know what he was doing, but he was figuring. He would stand up when we sang, and he would sit down when we were supposed to sit down, but he was not paying one bit of attention. He was writing all over the bulletin, figuring everything in the world. And the preacher finally got in the pulpit, and he began his remarks by saying, What time is it? Since that was the title of the sermon. And all of a sudden, Daddy looked at his watch and he blurted out, it's 25 minutes to 12. Well, everybody in the church laughed. I laughed. The preacher, it was literally a few minutes before he could talk after that. I remember his face being very red. Speaking of preachers in the pulpit, you know, preachers can get things mixed up sometimes, just like the rest of us. They're human beings. And so I think it'll be good to pause and just some of you probably heard this or seen this on the Internet but it's typical of some of the situations preachers can get into. So listen to this. And then the following week, last week, we were talking about Lot, and we were talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, and we were talking about how Lot chose to go pinch his tits. Excuse me. (laughs) Pinch his tits. Pinch his tits is what I said. And you heard nothing else here. This is church, my gosh. What I was challenging you guys to not do was to pick friends that were going to lead you to... Man, stop laughing! All right? Man! Yeah, that was funny. Preachers can get in a mess, and anybody can, when you're speaking Sunday after Sunday and have all the sermons they have to say. You can get your words mixed up, but that was pretty funny. But preachers are also not perfect. And because of my relationship with so many preachers, I saw the who they really were, probably better than some of the the members of the congregation. Uh, but we had one preacher. He was he was a Baptist preacher, but I knew him well. But he he played golf every Sunday. He had a one o'clock tea time. That meant that he had to be through with Sunday morning service by ten to twelve, so he could speak to everybody and go eat and get to the golf course. I mean, he was an avid golfer. I played golf a lot, and I was out there a lot on Sunday afternoon, but I didn't play every day at one, but I was playing this Sunday. I was putting on number one green at our golf course. Right next to number one green is number two tee. Two tee to two green on the left, about 125 yards, is number five tee. So the person on number five tee can be in the line of the drive on number two, if he's not paying attention or if the guy hits a bad shot. So sure enough, I'm watching the guy tee off on number two while I'm about to putt, so you have to stop let that guy tee off before you putted. This guy duck-hooked it, and that preacher was getting ready to tee off on number five, and that ball hit him right in the small of the back. 
and you could hear that preacher cussing all over the golf course. And I, I had never heard a preacher cuss like that. And I was a kid, but I was absolutely heard words that I had never heard before. We had another Baptist preacher that, that came into town. He's brand new. We, again, we were playing golf. You can tell him I, I should have said our life arrived around the, the, the church and the school and the golf course. But we were playing golf again, and the manager of the golf course or the golf pro came up in the golf cart with this man that I'd never seen in my life. Uh, the Dr. Watley, who was a deacon at the Baptist church, knew who he was, but the rest of us had never met him. But he was the new Baptist preacher. So we obviously got out of our carts, and we were about to tee off on number six, which is a long par three, and we got out and shook his hand, welcomed to Reynolds, and did all the pleasantries that you can do, and we finally got ready to hit. And my brother-in-law, who was my brother-in-law now, he was my next-door neighbor then, he hit the ball, great shot, on the green. And all of a sudden, the preacher, the new preacher that we had just met, that just moved into town, he said, that was a damn good shot. And I remember thinking, did he say what I think he said? And we got in the golf cart, and my brother-in-law and I were, I said, did he say what I think he said? And he said, yes, he did. You had to have been there again. So funny. Uh, that's a good way to start off your your term in a, as a preacher in rentals. These guys were human beings just like everybody else. Again, I think this is a good time to pause. That these guys are human. And this is another little audio that you may have seen and you may not have seen, but a preacher, maybe his mind here was in the wrong place. Listen to this. You're going to go through difficult times in the next 10 years. I, I can't promise that you're going to have sex. Six. Well, I, I can't promise that either. I can't promise you're going to have success. Either one of them. I think that preacher was thinking about something else when he said that, personally, but maybe not. So another thing that I learned early on is there's, there were two kind of preachers in the county that I grew up in. There were, there were a few of them that were formally trained to be preachers and Bible scholars and Bible teachers. Most of them were bivocational. They had not been to seminary, but we had, you know, preachers that were trained and people that were not trained, and you wondered how many of them were really called by the Almighty to be a preacher or were they called, and some, especially some of the bivocational preachers, to make a little extra income on the weekend. But we certainly had all kinds uh, there's a scripture that anybody that's in the funeral business will know this. It's 1 Corinthians 15, 53 that says, Corruptible must put on incorruption, and the mortal must put on immortality. That verse is read at many, many funerals. I mean, I've heard it a thousand times if I've heard it once. Well, we had one preacher that would always get that mixed up. He would get to the end of the service, and he would always say, now the corruptible must put on incorruption, and the moral must put on immorality. He he never he never knew the difference. I certainly never told him. One time he was preaching at a big church, a very trained pastor was there. He was not he was preaching at his relative's funeral, but the preacher of the church was there, and he was back in the back with me. And I kind of warned him 
I said, this great guy here, but he's going to get this messed up at the end. And I told him he was going to probably say the moral must put on immorality. He said, there's no way he's going to do that. I said, well, just wait here. And he did it. He got to the end of the service, and the corruptible must put on incorruption, and the moral must put on immorality. And I thought my friend, the preacher in the back, was going to have a heart attack that day. We also had another bivocational preacher that was his main occupation. He was a timber cruiser. He was quite a character. I was meeting with a family one day, and he was in there with the family. And we were making funeral arrangements. We we got to the point where we were talking about the actual funeral. It was going to be a graveside service out in a little rural cemetery, sits off a little rural highway. The family wanted someone to sing How Great Thou Art at the funeral. They said they didn't have anybody to sing it. And I said, well, I can get somebody to sing it. We've got plenty of people I know I can get them. But the preacher, the timber cruiser preacher, said, no, I've got somebody. I'll get somebody to do that. I've, I've got plenty of people. I can handle that. So I said, that's fine. That's no problem. So a couple of days later, we were out at the graveside getting ready for this funeral, put up a a PA system, which I, looking back, I probably should not have. In fact, I know I should not have because there were not that many people there. We really didn't need a PA system, but it was just a normal thing. So we had it set up. Right across the street from that cemetery, a retired couple lived. So the preacher, whatever he did, he said some words, and then the guy came up to sing How Great Thou Art. And he stood in front of that microphone, and he gave the most God-awful rendition of How Great Thou Art you would ever hear in your life. You would not even recognize that song. I'm convinced this Timber Cruiser preacher just found this guy on the street at the last minute and said, I forgot, i got to get somebody to sing. Will you sing this? You would. He didn't get the words right. He, he said how great thou art a few times, so you knew that's what he was attempting to sing, but it was some kind of God-awful singing, and he was screaming it in that microphone. I looked across the highway, and I saw the lady come out of her house and start looking up at the sky, like, what in the world is happening? Something bad has happened out here. She heard all that noise. My grave diggers were down the highway, sitting off the road in their vault truck, and they, too, told me they got out, and they thought a, pr- a plane was crashing. They got out and started looking above to see what in the world was, was going on. That was the worst rendition of a song I have ever heard in my life. If I had a video of that, and I could put that on YouTube, it would go viral. There's no question about that. We, some of the preachers, we, we always had a, a not always, but a lot of the time, we had a part-time preacher that worked at the funeral home. They were perfect people. They knew people. They were wanted to be involved in ministry in the funeral home, so we always had a part-time preacher around or two. I need to tell you how this works, but it, sometimes in our business, when you're dressing a man uh, to put him in the casket, you have to split his coat. But sometimes they give you coats that don't fit. And, you know, either the man has lost a lot of weight or they give you the wrong coat and it's some small coat. You have to split it in the back to make it look good when you put it on him. We try not to do that, but sometimes we do it. Daddy was back in the back one time dressing a man, and one of our part-time preachers was working for us. And Daddy told him to get the coat so we can split it to get him on it. So the preacher went over to get the coat and he held the coat up, and Daddy had his scissors, and you cut it down the seam of the coat. 
And Daddy finally got it cut in half, and he realized that he cut his own coat. And he was Daddy was blaming that on the preacher. I think that was as much Daddy's problem as it was the preacher's problem. But uh, that preacher never lived that down with Daddy. When I was in mortuary school, I had a, a teacher who was a retired funeral director from Oklahoma told us this, uh, this story. He said that he used to split all the coats, and he said he lied about it. He said he figured a family wouldn't understand it. There was no sense in upsetting them, so he just didn't tell them that he split the coats, even if they asked him. He would never tell them the truth until one day a lady came in, and she was about to go back and view her husband who'd passed away. And uh, she said, sir, I need to I, I need to ask you a question. I said, yes, ma'am, what, what do you need to ask? He said, did you split my husband's coat? He said, no, ma'am, I certainly did not. She said, well, thank goodness, because I gave you the wrong coat. That's my son's coat. I got to get that coat back. And that undertaker stood that minute and said, lady, I didn't split it, but I'll have to split it to get it off. Now, now that's a fast-thinking undertaker right there. You got to admit. Well, one of the other things that we, we were very late doing in my town was using clergy cards. A clergy card is, is where you write down the name of who died, their birth date, their death date, their survivors, whatever organizations they were in, and just basic stuff that you give to a minister so they've got all that information in front of them. Now, we never used that for many years because everybody knew each other. And to be honest, we were a little concerned that that some of the preachers would either mispronounce or get something wrong when they read it, and we would get blamed for it because they were reading it off our clergy card. And that happened a time or two, so we just didn't like giving clergy cards out. But on this particular day, uh, I was I remember we had a couple of funerals, so I was late getting to this funeral. And as soon as I walked into church, I realized that my friend, the pastor that was preaching, had a clergy card. I don't think he'd ever seen a clergy card. It was probably the first one he'd ever seen, but they gave it to him. And he couldn't see. He had glasses on the end of his nose. He was trying to read it. And I was thinking, sitting in the, in the back, that this is exactly why we don't want to give these out, at least to talk to him about it instead of just handing him this card. So he starts reading the card. We're here to pay our res- to last respects for Mrs. Jane Doe. He said she, she died on December the 8th, 1904, and his wife was playing the piano, and she got his attention. So that's when she was born. That's when she was born. So I'm sorry. She was born in 1904. And he, he says she's got one daughter, and she's he, and he was ad-libbing now a little bit, and she's here, and I'm glad to tell you I, find, I found out today she's finally started attending church. I mean, this was getting worse and worse. He started reading the, the club. She was a member of the garden club. She was a member of the woman's club. She named all this stuff. And then he got down to the port to it with the funeral information. He said, and the funeral is being held now. And that, my friend, is why I told my people after that, why we don't use clergy cards. I almost came out of the pew uh, like people were looking around. Is that why we're here? Oh, okay, we're here. To, uh, the funeral is being held now. Some preachers are very plain spoken. Some people have, you know, use a little charisma in saying things, especially at, at, in, in, at funerals. Some people are very good at uh, when a person's life hadn't been perfect, make the family feel good about the person, and they're, they're very good at that. Some people just say whatever they think, and we had one preacher that took plain spoken to another level, and he was preaching a funeral, and his basic message of the funeral was 
this man went to hell, and if y'all don't straighten up, you're going to join him. Uh, somebody called me that night and blessed me out that were in attendance at that funeral. said, I cannot believe that you had this preacher say that. I said, I can't control what the preacher says. I had no control over what the preacher was saying. I tried to explain to him, but funeral directors get blamed for what people read off clergy cards, and they get blamed on what the preacher says. That's just part of what we do. Some of you, some of this audio I'm about to show you will make some of you mad. Uh, it makes me laugh because I've seen preachers like this, uh, very close to this. So I'll let you listen to this. Don't go to sleep while I'm talking. Hey, 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 don't, don't, don't you lay your head back. I, I'm, I'm important. I'm somebody. Now, you might do your English teacher that way. But I'm not teaching English. I'm teaching eternal life here. I love you. You know I love you. Have I convinced you I love you? Uh, yeah. You better, th- you better nod your head yes. All right. Come on. And where have you been, Mr. Underwood? And I noticed on the calendar I'm supposed to marry y'all. What makes you think I'd marry you? You're one of the sorriest church members I have. You're not worth 15 cents. And you want me to marry you to her? And you want to marry him, and he don't even know where he belongs, and you don't even know where you belong. Now, uh, let me tell y'all, everybody here, how much I love these kids. Are y'all keeping the camera on me back there in the little video room? Good. We're having trouble in the video room. There's no one finer than young Cox back there. And he comes down here and spends hours in that thing. But he has a little attitude adjustment that we're going to fix it. Brother Cox, you listening? Because, Brother Cox, I can fix your ju- attitude adjustment. And I don't care what your mama thinks and your daddy thinks. And I don't have a better friend than your mama. But, Mama, you get out of my way when I'm messing with that boy because I'm his preacher. I'm, I'm yours when I'm talking to you. But I'm his when I'm talking to him. And last I checked, he's a grown man. And that video room ain't going to be a youth hangout. I don't know how that guy kept members uh, listening to him every week, but it looks like there was a crowd there. The other thing that I have found out is that, and I mentioned this already, that preachers can be human. I mean, they're all human beings. And to tell you these next two stories, tell you about me, I suffer from a disease, and it's called IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. And I admit it, and I've got, Plenty of stories I could tell you about that. My wife says I shouldn't tell those, so I probably won't. Uh, but I've got plenty of stories and that I just don't get a warning when I have to go to the restroom. Well, my brother, who was also a pastor, had the same issue. And he was invited to preach at a church in another town on a Sunday morning. And he was in the pulpit, and he'd already started his sermon. Pretty big church. All of a sudden, right in the middle of his sermon, he had an IBS accident, and it was a serious accident, to the point that he had to stop and ask the song leader to come up and sing. He said, sing all five verses, and when you get through the five verses, you may have to start over. Mac went out of the pulpit, left them singing. I don't know how long he was gone, but long enough to clean himself up, and he came back. They stopped singing, and he finished the sermon. How he got through that, I'll never know. But unless you have IBS, you won't understand that. If you have IBS, you will understand how that can impact you. I'll tell this one story. When we moved to Warner Robins, uh, we 
started visiting this very large church, and it was ended up to be three or four thousand attended every Sunday. So it was a big church, and the senior pastor of the church, we met, and they came to visit us, and but they invited Kathy and I out to eat. The preacher and his wife invited us out to eat, and we went to Macon to eat, which was twenty five minute drive or whatever it is. Kathy had warned me ahead of time to be on your P's and Q's. This these folks don't know you like everybody else, and so on the way back from Macon. All of a sudden, it hit me. I had to go to the restroom, and I, I didn't. I, I was again. I don't get any warning, so I punched Kathy. I didn't want to embarrass her, but I said, "I got to go." And she said, "She looked at me with a stern look, like I could control that." And I told the preacher, "I said, Brother Jerry, I have got to go to the restroom." He said, "Okay." I said, "I don't mean ten minutes from now. You got to pull off. I got to go right now." He said, "You mean to pull off the interstate?" <laughs> I said, I, well, off wherever you can. I don't have any warning. I don't want to ruin your car. And there was a Holiday Inn uh, Express. And I said, pull in that parking lot. He said, are you going to go in the Holiday Inn? I said, I am a platinum member. I'm going to go in the Holiday Inn. So here I, I ran in, literally in front of this folks I just met, who's a pastor of this big church, and his wife. I ran as hard as I could in there, and I made it. And I got back. Kathy was beside herself. She didn't speak to me. She didn't look at me. She was humiliated. Got back to the house, and she, I don't know what I could have done, but she was not happy with me. And the good news is that they became good friends of ours. We're still friends today. I don't know what they said to each other that night, but in the long run, they they figured I was human, and they laughed. This final story is about a poor preacher that had to go to South Georgia to preach a funeral. It may be the best story of all. Now, one of the most the classic stories I ever heard about, I was talking about funny things happening in serious places. Y'all probably have heard about this. But this preacher from middle Georgia went down to south Georgia, to Alma, Georgia, to preach a funeral. It was in the middle of the summer. It was hot. It gets hot in Alma, Georgia, in the middle of July. And it's one of these small Baptist churches where you got people lined up on the walls, people outside, people everywhere had the fans going to average funeral home advertising going you know people fanning off it was hot and the the family had come to this funeral director that morning and said you know we've got an unusual request and i know that we've told you to have the young man that's going to sing sing amazing grace at the funeral but the, the family the son-in-law came and said the they've been talking about it and they want you to sing jingle bells they want him to sing jingle bells at the funeral said are you sure said i'm they, they said that was her favorite song and that's what they want sung <laughs> So he said, you know, that's what they want. He talked to the young man that was going to sing. He had to go to school to find all the words of Jingle Bells, and he practiced it, you know, in a dignified voice, you know, dashing through the snow in a one heart. And, you know, you know uh, Jingle Bells, you know, can you imagine seeing that at a funeral? But anyway, he stood up, and uh, he, he started singing that song, and the more he sung, the worse it got. People were looking down. They were shaking their heads. He sang words, verses that nobody never heard. He sung it for a long time. And he finally got through with that song, and he was looking for a hole to go get in because he could see the expression on people's faces. At the graveside, the funeral director came up to him, had a funny look on his face. He said, son, I, I, I got something I need to tell you that we made a terrible mistake. He said, what are you talking about? He said, well, I just found out the song that, that, that they wanted you to sing was, was Golden Bells. <laughs> when they ring those golden bells. And they done sung Jingle Bells at that funeral. Last time I heard about that guy that was singing, he was working at a, at a bar in Albany, Georgia. He never sung again after, after all that. The world ain't gonna stop when you die, and, and we need to lighten up. Isn't it good to laugh? 
If you know it's okay to laugh even in the face of adversity, even in the most serious times, it really is okay to laugh. Viewing life from a hearse, it could be worse. Laughing and cry with the country undertaker.